Welcome to Golf Better at Edwin Watts Golf. Episode 138. Hello everyone, my name is Tom Brussell and thanks so much for joining us. Whether you're a first time listener or a long time subscriber, either way, we're glad you're with us and we're especially glad you're with us today. We have a very, very special guest on the phone with us today. Just to give you a heads up, we record these episodes sometimes a little bit in advance. We got this one a couple weeks ago. Had a little phone line issue across country. Did our best to to make the audio quality where you can understand it. But So bear with us a little bit in, in the beginning because this is just an, an outstanding episode with an outstanding guest. Let me go ahead and introduce him. He's a two-time winner of the PGA Championship, member of four victorious Ryder Cup teams, has 24 career wins on the PGA and Champions Tour, and now is one of the most sought-after instructors in golf. The list of accolades goes on and on, but truly, the one that stands out is he is one of the true gentlemen in the game of golf. Who else but Mr. Dave Stockton? Mr. Stockton, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, my pleasure, Tom. That's brilliant. First and foremost, you were recently named the recipient of the PGA Distinguished Service Award. That's the highest honor the PGA gives uh, you join the likes of Bob Hope, President Gerald Ford, Gene Sarazen, Byron Nelson, President Bush, and many others. Congratulations on such an honor! And your thoughts when you were uh, when you found out you were receiving that award? Well, first of all, Tom, I was surprised. Uh, didn't even know they were considering me. But uh, after reflecting on number one to be getting the award this next month of Kilo, like you mentioned, which is inside the letter that uh, makes it extremely special. But to be be honored for some of the stuff I've done over the years uh, and be appreciative of uh, the lessons and clinics and the charitable work and everything. It, it, it's a great honor, as you mentioned, to join that list of individuals that have preceded me. It's really special. It is quite an honor roll, and uh, congratulations once again. Let's turn the clock back. We like to ask this some of our guests because most of our guests are very well known, but a lot of the people don't know how they got started, how that love affair with the game of golf cart started. What about you? Well, my dad was a, was a professional, uh, a really good amateur. In fact, he and I were the first father and sons at USC uh, in, uh, in the same sport. And we both won the individual back 10 titles. And, and Dave Jr. made it three generations later when he turned second to Mickelson and then went to get away. So it was kind of a family thing. I uh, entered college and be going free law and realized I wasn't going to make seven years. And my game progressed pretty good. Uh, I would say during my USC, I, I broke my back when I was 15 when I was a marginal, marginally good baseball and basketball player. Not that I was going to go anywhere, but I enjoyed doing it in the 50s. You know, nobody really wanted to play golf. Uh, so after I hit my back, I started practicing very hard um, so I could get a golf scholarship, which I did. And uh, so after the extra semester, four and a half, she graduated from the business of eight, so they fell. And uh, Kathy and I were married, went out on tour, started to try it for three years. And it was a uh, serious adventure for the first couple. I think we made probably 16, 17,000 the first two years. Slightly more than that, then won twice in '67, and we were on our way. And uh, you know, I, I had a building teacher, my father. I uh, didn't realize what he all taught me, especially now that I am a teacher at all of my sons. Uh, it, it's come full circle, and uh, it's been a nice ride. 
Well, you were always known for a tremendous short game, an exceptional putter and those two PGA championships at Southern Hills and Congressional. You've got to putt well on those courses. How did that come about? You, you, you mentioned your dad. Was he a short game instructor too? Did he have a short game or is it something you just kind of uh, came naturally to you and then you continued to work on it? Oh, no. He, he taught me it when I was really young. Uh, we lived two doors down in the clubhouse, so, you know, I would spend my, my afternoons just cutting and messing around. Uh, I had a speed with a, a five iron, a six iron, excuse me, and a putter. And that's what I feel around the golf course with. And uh, I just, you know, I'm getting instruction. I didn't realize where it was coming from. But uh, as I look back on it, after I got invited to, to be in the Southern California Hall of Fame, I... I, I had another boy that my dad also caught. He caught five of us when I was sure, and I was the only one to stick. But uh, he started talking about my dad. It's, uh, you know, and where he got Alice Morris, a history teacher in the late 30s, who taught Henry Picard, who won the Masters in 38, and the PGA in 39, uh, and, and also worked with Nelson and Hogan. So, and I didn't know that. I never asked my dad who taught him. But the underlying stuff that, that, that uh, Morrison taught my father was in a book in 1940 called Better Golf Without Practice. And while the long game has changed significantly, from what I learned in the 40s, cutting has changed the thing. Yes, the equipment's gotten better, but the insight that my father gave me, you know, we're all due to my father, uh, is the basis of Stockton Golf now that Ronnie and David and I are all teaching. And uh, I built my faith in something that other people believe, but our success kind of speaks for itself. I was going to ask you about that. You know, I heard a stat recently that 40% of the game, 40% of most golfers' score is putting, but 6% of instructional dollars go to short game and putting instructions. And Stockton Golf has been, well, to say it's been successful is an, an understatement. You've had. Students like Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Rory McIlroy, Adam Scott, Justin Rose, Matt Kuchar, Yanni Singh, Anna could come to you guys. And you said your, your sons, uh, Dave and Ron, are in there as well. What's in the water? What are you guys doing at having people come to you like this? Because it, what a uh, what an honor roll of students. Well, it's, it's very different. Uh, we, uh, I should say different, but we just believe that the left hand controls low chip shot as well as putting. Uh, there's a great article by Steve Stripper, who I think is a great player, uh, who I've not worked with. Uh, and I loved everything he said. Thinks the left hand, the same as the blade. Uh, and, and different things that we teach. The first thing we do is we have someone sign their signature. And if you sign your signature, I want you to look at it. And right below it, I want you to do it again, but I want you to do it slowly and try to make it exactly the same. And as soon as somebody tries, like myself, if I try to start PA, I can't get to my second letter, and I realize I got no chance. I mean, it's just, it's something that should be in your subconscious nature trying to do it. When you try to do it, it takes longer, it doesn't feel as good, and the results are predictably not as good. And yet, that's most people look at cutting, uh, especially if they think it's right-handed, and you're opening and closing the stroke. Um, you are, you're making a miniature swing out of something that I don't think should be that way. And the way my dad taught me, and now that Ronnie and David and I teach, is the back of the left hand goes to the hole. Um, you, if you just make it break down, well, it's got to go six or eight inches, and it doesn't break down. And consequently, you're going to get consistent speed, and you're immediately going to get better. Uh, the other thing 
one other thing to consider is probably the reason that, that, that I'm a good cutter is I consider myself a, a really good reader of greens. Well, I can judge people in the pot and everything. So we teach everybody so they, they know how to read greens. They have their own uh, routine, uh, which hopefully will be faster. We're not a believer in practice books, although everybody kind of gets sucked into wanting to do that. We had Dave Pels on with us last year. You talked about reading greens. He's he was he's adamant that most golfers underread break. Is, is that kind of the same philosophy with you, or they just don't know how to read the green? Uh, I think Tennessee is for most people play cut straight. So if there's much break to it, they are going to miss the lower days correct there. Uh, it's just it doesn't, you know, you have to see it. I mean, and that's why I don't change speeds when I'm putting. A lot of people get a two or three footer and they like to jam it in. Uh, but for the most part, I don't. I mean, my dad always taught me to be extremely aggressive. And that, uh, that his idea was to never leave it short, but then I'm not, never knock it more than 16 inches fast. Uh, two words that we, we don't use when we're, we're trying to teach is that number one is the word try, because uh, we want you to feel it. And the other thing is we don't want you to hit the putt, we want you to roll it. So it becomes, your speed becomes much more important in your line. And as soon as people start seeing the line better, they're going to putt better. Uh, but most people, unfortunately, it's like they're shooting an arrow or a gun at the hole or in the right, but never pulling it off. Uh, I want to see the curvature. I enjoy the curvature. I like the Dave, how about left hand low and long putter and belly putter when they come to you? Obviously, something's breaking down if, if, if the student is going to that. Do you try to get them back on track traditionally or work with what they have? I try to, well, I find if they're comfortable, I try to get them back to more conventional. Uh, one of my guys I always work with is Tom Kite, and actually work. He would be back to being conventional, and all of a sudden I'd see him the next week determined to be you know, left hand low, uh, which is fine. It, that's fine for a left hand low. You try to make the left hand go to the hole, but unfortunately, most people still flip it, and they don't, and they don't uh, get the results they want. As far as long putters, I mean, I tried one here. Nicholson tried his last year. Uh, I can see where some people get better because they can anchor it. I, I am in the camp, but I don't understand how we're allowed to anchor it on our body. I don't care if the putter's 12 feet long. As long as you can't anchor your arms. I mean, they have a lot of fans need for this croquet, which I think is a much more uh, natural swing. He's not anchoring anything. But uh, he, the, like like my son David, who teaches Martin Laird. Martin Laird is you know, a longer putter. Basically, Adam Scott, same thing. We all work with Adam. And, uh, David, the week after we worked with the players, he won in San Antonio with a short putter. He's since gone to the, to the longer putter. And he, uh, you know, the key that I think that he cuts so well is his routine. He's taken a routine that Junior taught him, and yes, he's got a longer putter now, but his routine hasn't changed. He's reading the greens better. Consequently, he's putting better. Um, so we don't care what the, what the method is. I prefer, you know, uh, a, a more conventional style, but some people can't do it. Uh, one of the things I should mention, I think the biggest thing in changing putters uh, to come down the pipe, uh, being with TaylorMade and everything, is the green face technology, which prior to TaylorMade using it, yes, and right putters both had it. Both of them said they rolled the ball better, which they truly do. 
but the other thing is that since the role is better, they don't play any loft on the putter. And I firmly believe, uh, and for years, Taylor May didn't make putters with more than two degrees loft, and yet everyone I'm having made for people have at least four. Um, I just think that lets you forward press your hands, which puts your left hand, or if you're left hand low, whatever it might be, get it more in position closer, closer to the target. Because that's what I'm trying to put the back of the left hand. Uh, the key to me, uh, is when I come back from the hole, my last look, I don't come back to the ball. And basically most people come back to the ball, look at the ball, and when they stroke at it, and when they stroke, as soon as the putter touches the ball, they tend to recoil or you can pull up, but it's like the stroke is over as soon as they touch it. And I've always come back to a spot an inch in front of the ball. I don't even see the ball. We don't use lines on the ball uh, because, again, that focuses you on, you know, the ball down below you, and I want to be focused on the hole. Uh, I, my eyes come back by an inch in front of the ball. I put an imaginary spot in the back of my left hand. I roll the ball over it. For me, it's all over it, but I've gone through the average person that takes practice strokes would be like somebody shooting, uh, throwing a dart. And you want to focus on the bullseye or whatever number you want in this dart you're going to throw. You don't want to be focused on your hand at the side. Well, somebody that takes practice strokes and then puts the butter down behind the ball and steps into it, they're focusing down on the ground. They're not focusing out at their target. And that's a lot of what we do in the routine we routinely get into to make people just visualize what they see and then let it go. Don't be don't be paralyzed by trying to, to really get something really perfect. You don't have to be perfect. It's a big hole. Well, that's good stuff. If, I mean, if I take three things out of that, just listening to you, Mr. Stockton, it's uh, left-handed, back of the left hand at the whole muscle memory and don't hit the ball, roll the ball. You wrote a book last last year, Unconscious Putting. Is If someone wanted to know more about your philosophy, is a lot of that in there? There's a lot in it. There's a book coming out in the middle of August, uh, Unconscious Scoring, which is going to move into the chipping and all the shots around the green. Uh, we've just got a DVD that's actually come out this week that, that follows Unconscious Putting. Uh, some people can get that and be able to see in pictures and everything exactly what the book's trying to tell them. Uh, it's kind of fun doing the book with Matt Rudy of Golf Digest, who's really a gifted writer. Uh, I am very proud of this book, the second book I've ever written, but I say I read he, he definitely wrote it, but it's in my words. And it, it, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, Tom, for me to realize now, you know, I played 47 years and 68 when I had the rotator cuffs and problems, and I realized I wouldn't be able to play for a while. I started this teaching first with Michelle Wee and then, and then Nicholson called two weeks later. Uh, and now where we progress, you know, Junior and Ronnie and I, we have 63 wins worldwide the last two years, not counting this year. And we collaborated uh, so well with so many people. For instance, Junior and I were doing the U.S. Open last week at the Polar. And uh, we worked with 11 different girls. And it's just, it, it's so much fun for me at 70 to, to looking back and, you know, the kids are, are better teachers than I am. And, you know, because I'm, you know, just because you play doesn't necessarily mean you can teach by any matter of your imagination. But I feel like my dad looks it down and there's a country, country song you, you say you start to see your dad and yourself. Well, I'm, I'm seeing my father and both my boys. And for us to be able to collaborate, I mean, just back and off and see this vision of how to make people feel more comfortable putting. 
Well, Dave, over the years you've helped so many, so many players. I'm, I'm thinking about 12 players that you helped 21 years ago in South Carolina. You'll be receiving that the Distinguished Service Award back at that place. It means so much. I mean, it was the the Ryder Cup that year in '91 was something like I, I don't think any of us will ever forget. Uh, we hadn't won one. I don't. I think we lost at the Belfry in '89. We lost at Muirfield in '87. We lost at the Belfry again in '85, and back then it wasn't as, as televised and as and as and, and as country confrontational as as it got to be. So, what did you do to prepare these guys? You know, some of these the greatest players of, of that time as you went to Kiowa b- before the Ryder Cup. A few things, basically. Number one is. Uh, I stopped doing all corporate outings at that time, like 78 days a year. And I was spending the entire time, uh, you know, going around the country trying to get people to, to promote, you know, to realize what the writers up is about. I wanted to be more animated here. Uh, I wanted pride in our guys. I wanted people to understand why we're, we're playing. And in those days, truly, we weren't getting paid a dime to play it. But you're playing, they, they run up the American flag and they play you know, the national anthem, if you're not ready to play, then there's something wrong. Uh, it, there's an interesting venue in Kiowa since it's being created at that time. Um, and we, you know, I, I got my guys came in two or three times. The two that I didn't pick to be on the team was right in line to get there. In fact, one was the next captain followed me and Tom Watson. There's both Tom Kite and, and uh, Tom Watson. But everybody that was even considered going to be considered for the team had to come in at least twice to play the course because I wanted to watch them. Uh, we did Tuesday shootouts around on tour, which we normally do in San Diego and Colonial and two or three others. Uh, let me control that Tuesday shootout, so I made it like Ryder Cup format. All in the shot at best ball. And I paired the guys I wanted to pair together just to see how they would react uh, to give me a better feel. Uh, the Ryder Cup did become as the first First time the PGA made money on the Ryder Cup field, it was it was supposed to be a PGA Western California, so they realized the three-hour time change with Sullivan in Europe, so that's where they shifted it to Hugh Island and put JP Dunn past the building the golf course, basically, to scratch. Um, it, in looking back on it, there was saying the only thing I definitely didn't like, I, I really messed up when I made the camouflage hat. We were just finished Desert Storm, and I love to hunt and fish, so... I was putting some camouflage in there just for American pride, not not that I was thinking of as PGA coined at the war by the shore. Um, I I did not like that term at all. Um, but and I've got flack or written, I'll take the flack because I was I was just really proud that we got the cut back. I thought we did it correctly if you'd listen to their captain for our Gallagher talks, he thought we tried to cut corners and do this and do that and when Steve Fate got hurt and all the different things that he alluded to that weren't on the up and up, I just, I don't know, he had serious problems. I, you know, I kind of was Tony Jackson had been the captain who had, you know, he had led the Europeans to all these victories with Newfield over Jack four years before and then tying Raymond Floyd over there the year, two years before we had ours. Uh, there was just a lot of pride in it and, Looking back on it, I'm very proud that we won. I'm very proud of what we accomplished as far as making the Ryder Cup a place that you want it. You know, like this year with David Love being the captain at Medina in Chicago. Uh, they've invited all past PGA 
uh, and, and Ryder Cup captains to be there. Uh, and which that hasn't happened since uh, Hal Sutton's in Detroit, where we came in and we raised over 600000 in one day. We're actually playing two days in Chicago, uh, special side event, uh, just to, to benefit junior golf and everything else. Um, but it's, it's a, we, I, I, I take a lot of pride in what, what the American version of what the Ryder Cup was like this year was. And it's just going to come before Medina this, this September. Well, that team, Raymond Floyd, Payne Stewart, Mark Kalkovecchia, Azinger, Corey Pavin, Wayne Levy, Chip Beck, Mark O'Meara, Fred Couples, Lanny Watkins, Hale Irwin, and Steve Pate. We have a picture hanging in the hallway here at Edwin Watts Golf of you guys victorious with the obviously with the obvious exception of Payne Stewart. Do you stay in you stay in touch with them? Yeah, we do. Uh, and that's you know it's all the teaching. Uh, the only ones I don't know are the ones that are out on the senior trips. I don't see them as much. But I'm running into you know all the time we talk back and forth. It was there were four of us that, that talked all the time. Um, three of us primarily would be Payne Stewart, Manny Watkins and myself. Uh, and two, the fourth would be Asian. And when we would talk, it was, you know, we would, we would be playing in Hartford, and we're discussing strategy is how it applied to the Ryder Cup. And with the exception of Lanny getting beat, uh, and of course Payne not getting his chance, uh, I think it's probably what, what our lessons, when it showed up in Valhalla with Asian being the captain, I think it's done the best, did the best job of any captain ever. Um, just absolutely out captain Captain Fowler uh, on the other side and just let the U.S. the victory. Um, it, we had a lot of good thoughts. Uh, and America's got to, they got to be very proud of the line of people that are coming on and they'll show this, this year with, with Davis Love. Uh, but, uh, there's a lot of wherewithal on America's side. It's going to be one unbelievable Ryder Cup because obviously all these Americans, I've, right now we're, we've got four or five on the American side and we're also talking golf and work with four or five on the European side. Uh, guys, I didn't even know two years ago, Nicholas Cole starts being one of them, but obviously Rory being right in the mix and, uh, it's going to, it's going to be interesting to me. I'm going to obviously be rooting for the Americans, but, uh, also, root for the guys we teach too. Dave, we want to thank you for taking time with us. You got to, you got to get busy. You got to get to work. You got some students waiting on you. Uh, final thoughts for our listeners as we close. Uh, the putting in the short game is very, very important. Uh, it's not the number of hours you spend working on it, but it's getting the right equipment. Um, it'll help you. But then don't let anybody put you into a golf golf school that you have eight other people and they're all teaching you the same way. You're an individual. You've got to develop your own style. Uh, but, uh, but in the key thing is make sure you use your left hand. Back of the left hand doesn't break down and you're going to put a whole lot better. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Mr. Stockton. You have a great day. Okay. Thank you. You too. Well, how about that for putting in a nutshell? Back of the left hand, roll the ball, and for instruction, don't let anybody put you in a group. You're an individual. you got to work it out yourself. Have somebody work with you personally. Special thanks again to uh, the folks at the PGA for putting uh, putting us together with the legendary Mr. Dave Stockton. Thanks so much again to you, our listeners, and we'll do it again next time. We have another episode of Golf Better at edwinwattsgolf.com. So long, everyone. <laughs>